Um, I emailed your message you the other day in regards to, you know, just feeling very, I mean, it's very easy to be complacent in regards to the Amazon fire going on right now and, and feel like, you know, we have, we can't do anything. We're helpless and we just watch as it burns. And, um, it's hard to sit in that space and then, you know, share pictures and talk about it. But I'm just kind of curious and really appreciate your advice and knowledge on the topic of environmental consciousness. And if we can do anything in regards to, you know, living in the U.S. and just viewing these pictures, like what can we do here and now to make an impact for the better? But just any plans of actions that we can take in regards to environmental concerns in other nations because it's very easy to just turn a blind eye and, you know, go through the whole saying of ignorance is bliss. And even if you aren't ignorant to it and you're absorbing these pictures and your, you know, the content and the news, what can we do here and now to have an impact and to help what is going on? Thank you so much. Thank you for sending in that voice memo. I appreciate the vulnerability and I'll do my best to answer the question. One thing that has been important for me is to let myself feel rage and sadness and despair in moments like these. When I see the Amazon burning and I feel it on a deep level, uh, I found that it's been really important for me to not shy away from that sadness and grief. And whatever that takes, scream, cry, uh, but feel it. I think that that's the curse of uh, empathy and feeling the sorrows of the world that uh, I'm guessing that you are feeling right now is that uh, you can really put yourself in someone else's shoes. Um, and that's a gift and a curse because you, I'm, I'll, I'll speak personally, I can see you know, indigenous people who are in the middle of the rainforest and I pretty frequently have the thought, wow, what luck that I was born here and how much it was just complete luck that I was born here. And if I was in their position, I would really want someone like me who's in North America in a privileged position to do something and speak up and speak out. Um, but what do we do? So I think that on, a, on an emotional level, just um, letting myself feel it is an important first step. And then from there, I think that another tactic that makes the day more bearable is to take radical responsibility over the decisions that I make um, and take, take the mindset that everything that I do has a profound impact on the world. And I don't mean that in a literal sense, I mean it in a, a spiritual sense, in a mindset sense, that every conversation I have, every thing I put into my body, every 
every thought I think has a profound impact and I will never fully know the ramifications of that mindset, but it gives me agency over my life and makes me feel like what I'm doing has meaning. Um, so that's, that's a, a tactic that I choose to employ in times like these. Uh, and then moving out onto a more pragmatic level, I think that connecting with like-minded people who also care and want to do something is um, an important strategy uh, to, to move the needle. Um, I'm linking to an organization called Amazon Watch, and they are in the thick of this conflict right now. Um, so if you want to get involved with them, I recommend clicking the link below this podcast to Amazon Watch, and uh, they can set you up uh, to get more involved. It all depends on what your bandwidth is. Um, so as an example, what your bandwidth is and what your skills are. Um, and and as, as an example, with um, the Motherfucker Awards, which a lot of you are probably familiar with, but if not, it's a comedy show where we celebrate corporations that fuck Mother Earth and get comedians to kind of uh, represent the corporations and, and make fun of it all. Um, some of the most helpful people in this essentially activism project have been um, you know, one guy who's a set designer down in Hollywood named Jade, who uh, offered to design the whole show. Um, another was a guy named Ben, who's a motion graphics designer, and he donated a bunch of his time to motion graphics. And the reason I bring that up is because these are not uh, altruistic industries, and these skills that these people have, you know, I, I doubt they got into it because they said, oh, I want to you know, make the world a better place. Uh, but those skills are very helpful in uh, service of social good. So asking yourself the question, what skills do I have and how can I use those skills on behalf of something bigger is a leveraged way that you can make an impact. Um, so going to one of these organizations like Amazon Watch and saying, hey, I know how to code websites. How can I help? Um, is a really uh, useful way to um, spend your time. Depending on your bandwidth, um, I'm going to link also to uh, Patagonia Action Works, which is a, a, a an arm of Patagonia where you type in your zip code and they link you to local organizations uh, in your area that you can get involved with. Um, so I know that's that's not totally related to your question about the Amazon rainforest, but I think that taking the first step is the most important step. So even if you can only get involved with uh, something that's going on in your town, that's a really powerful way to, to flex the activism muscle and the citizen muscle that atrophies so easily. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> Mother Earth pays the bill as a result of that atrophy. But uh, I appreciate you um, bringing that question up, and I hope that some of some of those thoughts were helpful. Um, but I wish you the best, and just know that you're not not alone in the feelings that you're having. This episode of the podcast is with Tarek Azim. 
Tarek is a six-time mixed martial arts world champion head coach. He's the head of off-season development for many NFL, UFC, and NBL standouts. He is a, the competitive product of wildcard boxing under Juan Carlos Martinez and Freddie Roach, American Jiu-Jitsu and Gracie Academy Black Belt, and he created the Afghan Women's Boxing Federation in Fresno, and he was also a Fresno State University football linebacker. Uh, he works with athletes like Marshawn Lynch and Luke Rockhold, uh, and is the kind of guy that you can tell is on a very deep and clear frequency in this lifetime. Uh, and I hope that that comes through in this conversation. Um, we got linked up through my buddy Kaj Larson, who's a uh, former vice correspondent and Navy SEAL. So thank you, Kaj. And um, yeah, I've just really enjoyed getting to know this guy. And uh, I hope that you get some benefit out of this conversation. Before we get going, I want to send a huge thank you to Santa Cruz Medicinals, scmedicinals.com. These guys make potent CBD products and sponsor each and every one of these podcasts. One of my favorite products of theirs is their CBD MCT oil that I put in my morning brew just about every morning. Um, So I put a few drops in that and CBD as many of you might know, it helps with all kinds of ailments. It helps with inflammation. It helps with stress. Uh, it can even help you sleep better. So if you want to, if you want ten percent off on all of their CBD products, you can head over to scmedicinals.com. Type in the code name Kyle ten, all caps, and get ten percent off any order of CBD products. Scmedicinals.com. And with that, I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Tarek. Asim. Kyle Tierman here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. Congrats on all your success, man. You have some big people saying some very nice things about you. That's very humbling. Do you feel like you deserve it? Um, deserve what? All the success that's coming to you. Like, how are you riding this wave? Well, it just really depends on how we all define success, right? Right. And for how I feel about what, what success means, I'm pretty humbled and grateful. I'm, I'm, I'm content with um, how I've been dealing with things and put myself in positions um, that have surfaced and being able to, you know, just be extremely conscious about maximizing an opportunity. Um, but uh, looking forward to a lot more. Mm. What has um, been the most difficult aspect of this whole wave to navigate? Uh, self-truth. You know, I think why it was difficult because it's always been extremely foreign to be honest with yourself, right? This is why we let the rest of the world have their finger on the trigger of our faith and our destiny. And it's it's never really been taught that you need to trust you. It's been said, but it hasn't been taught. 
right? So much of it is said that here's what we need to do in order to be accepted. Here's what we need to do in order to be able to succeed. Here's what we need to do in order to get things, right? And it always has to do with other people's approvals. Um, so the difficult part to this was really trying to figure out how um, you take control of your destiny. You be okay with accepting yourself. You be okay with uh, forgiving yourself. You be okay with embracing things you can't control, you finding comfort with discomfort. Um, so it's been difficult because you've had to figure so much of it out on your own. Mm. And um, so difficult is something that used to live um, in my vocabulary and feeling uh, for quite some time. But I think I had a breakthrough with that word really not being a thing um, that exists um, in me because I just believe everything that happens happens because of the intentions I put out and it all comes with um, the struggle of desire. Mm. Yeah, you seem to have a very unique relationship with um, fear and a very unique relationship with um, following um what it is that you want to do and then visualizing it and getting there. Like you have a, you seem to be very, um, diligent and, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Accepting. Accepting. Yeah. And just, you seem like a, like you're very clear. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've I had to be clear. Right. I'm, I had to really figure out how to get out of my, out of my ways of, of dealing with, my insecurities. I mean, I meet some of the most amazing human beings uh, on a day-to-day basis, right? From some of the most interesting kids to, you know, adults to, in every different crafts, right? From like student athletes to athletes to artists to entrepreneurs and so on. And it's neat, like talking to these folks at at the depth that I, I talk to them and realizing like, oh my God, these folks think they're they're struggling and they think they're having such issues with x y and z and i just stare at them like oh my god like every day the case is certain that i'm the most insecure human being on this planet and how i see folks deal with that is number one it's not owning it right it's kind of like denying insecurity and it's 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 denying having the ability to expose confidence and a lot of that happens from utilizing fear as an excuse. And I feel I had this opportunity to, to make a decision on how I wanted to deal with that as being as insecure as I am and, you know, having these, these issues with, 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 you know, lack of emotional breakthroughs when it came, comes to like forgiving, right, or embracing or trusting or loving um, was when I, I finally made the decision of like, I'm not going to fight this, this the, the disease of fear. I think fear is a disease that's been paralyzing human growth. I think it's a fear. I think fear is a disease that's been paralyzing relationships and unity and, and is a root to every single war um, and, and, and separation because we, we, we do what the disease wants us, what we think wants us to do, right, which is fight it. And when you fight it, it's going to fight you back. You punch, it's going to punch you back. You kick, it's going to kick you back. But what if you embraced it, right? What if you hugged it? What if you appreciated it? What if you valued it? What if you gave it a responsibility? Well, then you realize 
that if it wasn't for fear and the embracement of it, you'd never have a direction to what freedom meant. Mm. And that's where my relationship is with, with this disease. It's, it's a disease, so it doesn't go anywhere. It's with you for life. But we also have to be conscious of the fact that there's nothing that happens to us that's meant to destroy us. Everything that happens to us is meant to strengthen us and better us, right? And again, this is a mindset. I'm not saying this is the answer, but this is what works for me and this is what works for my community. Right. Um, and it's just the embracement of that disease has been been it. Like this is the way I feel I could deal with things that I can easily use as an excuse to jump on the bandwagon of rebelling against things that don't go my way and blaming folks for things that aren't going my way and cause this, you know, disruption in a peaceful environment in order to get that acceptance I'm seeking because I don't want to deal with myself. And I don't like that. I see it enough. I've, I've you know, experienced quite a bit in my lifetime to where, like, you know, I've realized, like, what we want to feel, we control. But we can't surrender to the things we can't control. I always uh, think about those stories of, NFL players, MMA fighters, you know, any professional athletes that um, get these huge contracts and then the first year they get a DUI or they, you know, get caught doing drugs or just something stupid where they, you know, many of them came from nothing and then they seemingly achieved their dreams. And it always really confused me. Like, man, why would these guys make these stupid decisions? And then I thought about... Um, people I know who have been in relationships where they will cheat and do it almost in a way where they want to get caught. And I was thinking about the scripts that are playing between those two scenarios. And the only commonality that I could find is that it's because you think that's what you deserve. Like if you are a, a kid who came from nothing and you then achieve all the success but you don't believe that you deserve to be there your actions will then play out to get you back into the situation that you think you deserve Hmm. and i think about you know about fear and about what each of us um, can we jump on what you just said sure go for it yeah i i I was kind of teeing you up because (laughs) i think that you probably deal with this a lot there's a whole process and a step that's missing Right. I think, yeah, people may deal with things like like that. Right. That might be one. Right. But I also think that a reason why uh, a lot of folks get to that stage of shitting on the opportunities that are given to them is they've never been taught responsibility. They've never been held accountable to things. Right. Here's why. Just with some of the NFL athletes I have. Since they were sophomores, I'm sorry, even middle school kids, they were the freaks on the football team, right? They were the fastest or the strongest or the tallest or the biggest. And they didn't have to practice hard because as long as they performed, you know, on, on during the games, right? On like Pop Warner days or, or in high school football games. Right? You didn't have to worry about the grades because, you know, we'll get you cleared as long as you just get that 1.5 GPA. We'll get you a waiver, right? And there was just never any accountability, Right, there was never value organized for these folks. I'm like, what a privilege it is that you have this opportunity. So, 
They go through middle school. They go through high school, right? Being the coach's favorites. And like, don't worry about your grades. Don't worry about your personality. Don't worry about showing up. Don't worry about being the guy that's, that's first. You know sure. what I mean? Sorry about that. Yeah, just rely on this one thing that Correct. you're superhuman right. at. And then you go to college and it's the same shit. You're like that star athlete because the coaches hyped you up to the college coaches. And all the college coaches pamper you a little different than everybody else. You've got that guaranteed scholarship check. All this shit that just makes them feel that much more invincible. And that's all they know. And that's all they are. I put a lot of this stuff, not necessarily on the athletes. This is why I'm a bit forgiving with the majority of them. I put a lot of it on coaches. I put on a lot of coaches that are, are trying to use these young men to build a name or an ego trip for themselves. Because, come on, it's high school football. Relax. You're not getting paid shit. Like, calm down. Right? But it's an ego trip about wanting to be that cool coach, that badass coach. But you're sacrificing the growth and responsibility of these guys because you've got these little favorites on the team. Right. So what happens is these guys get into college and get the same behavior and they get the same treatment. Right. And then they get into the league where there's 53 other guys on the roster just like them. And it's like, well, now you're going to earn your money. And there's responsibility that comes with this thing. And this responsibility means there's no getting away with anything. Well, what do you mean? Like, I've, this is all I know. This is what I am. You can't do. No one can tell me I can't do something. Watch me. And this is where they start to feel extremely invincible and they can go out and do whatever they want. And then what happens is that they get crushed. And because they've not gotten crushed in the past, they have never built no capacity or any modification of their position to be able to adapt to change, to growth, right? So at the age of 23, with $50 million in the bank, someone's going to tell you no? Oh, okay. Well, I had nothing and no one ever told me anything. Who do they think they are now that I've got all this in the bank and I'm a brand and I've got all these followers, et cetera? And then shit comes crashing down. Because you're replaceable. Like, bye. And then the only way they know how to deal with it is self-detonation. Right? Whether it be addiction to, or not even addiction, but just deciding to choose this rebellious lifestyle. Like, okay, if I'm not going to get the attention I deserve, I'm going to create attention on myself by doing X, Y, and Z. And that's just been a massive consistent story throughout this thing um, and this journey I've seen throughout professional sports. It's, it's this behavior of responsibility and gratitude isn't something that's pressed on these youngins growing up. So it's just a behavioral issue um, that gets these guys to wall out and act the way they do until they detonate. Mm. And then when they detonate, then it's you've got a batch of them that, oh, my God, I, I totally fucked up. And I would really love to just be able to communicate. <laughs> Give me another shot, please. I just want to communicate with someone that help, who can understand me or help at least help me articulate how I'm feeling and why I did what I did. Right. And through my actions of commitment and my actions of, 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 of service and, and et cetera, I want to prove that I'm, I've matured and so I've been blessed uh, to build my stable around a lot of cats like that. But there's also a handful of folks that have come through uh, my facility and my program and haven't made it. Right. And it's it's, you know, you can call it fail. You can call it whatever you want. I don't want to title it, but I, I say it was more along the choice of just complacent. And I'm happy the way things worked out for me is the mentality. And it's like, okay, go. So I've got people who've not made it back to the league too, right? I'm, I'm not responsible for any of that. I'm, I'm just there to make sure that I hold you accountable to what your truth is. And what I do when I dig into getting that truth is a very, very vulnerable practice. And there's folks that will be honest and there's folks that won't. Mm -hmm. And 
it's it's just really interesting to see how like you and I think like okay having this like financial stability and wealth is is success. Well, I've seen guys with 50, 60, 70 million dollars guaranteed shit that away within 15 minutes of making a decision that I just don't want this and everything that comes with it. Hmm. Success to me is not knowing anybody is the mentality of some of these folks. And 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 I just want to work construction in a mountain and I don't want to see anyone ever again. And these are all Hall of Famers, like potential Hall of Famers. Like, like, wait, what? What do you mean? But, you know, to each their own. Uh, there's an interviewer that I love. His name is Cal Fussman. And uh, he wrote uh, GQ's What I Learned section for maybe 20 years. So he's interviewed Michelle Gorbachev. He's interviewed um, the president, President Clinton. He interviews all these celebrities. And he's very good at asking questions. Um, and he had this saying that always really stuck with me about the art of the interview, which is you start with the heart, which will lead you to the head and that'll take you to the soul. You start from a heart place. You don't start from a head place, but if you, if you start from a heart place and you do it right, you can really find out who someone is. And then I was thinking about you on the way over here and how you've been on the receiving side of a lot of podcasts, but you would probably be very well equipped to host one of your own because uh, a lot of what you're doing, it seems like, is asking the right questions so that you can get in and allow and allow these athletes to come to their own conclusions. Would you say that that's that's right about that? That a big part of your job is asking the right questions. I think there's a step before, prior to asking questions. Is is I think I think asking questions is. Um, I mean, there's obviously right and wrong questions. Every single human being is different, right? Um, but the step prior to asking questions is about creating a safe environment to ask a question, mm. right? And it's about practices of, of, of lowering the waterline a little bit. Um, so the types of questions I ask are, are, are questions you probably ask someone you've known for 30 years. Um, but I'll ask those questions within two minutes of meeting somebody because I don't believe we have enough time in this world. And I just don't have any time for hobbyists. And I have no time for air relationships you know things that just have no no depth or weight and i make that very clear from the get-go and why i jump into these things um so it's about really lowering the waterline first i think more than anything for them to understand why i'm going to ask questions and why i want to dig into them and why i think it's important for us to collaborate and be teammates is my first step and then i'll jump in and, and ask questions and the questions i like to start with are primarily based around depends on the individual i'll modify it depending on the individual right if they're a little more reserved and a little you know i still haven't broken through on just a vulnerability talk at the start um i hone in on their strengths right and nine out of ten times the strengths are usually physical so i talk about physical ideals and really let them know i acknowledge things and then once they get that comfort and that praise and that support i go to the opposite spectrum where are they emotionally and why aren't they fulfilled emotionally, right? Where are they in their headspace? Why aren't they fulfilled in their headspace? And it's a very, very interactive play. Um, it's a conversation. It's not necessarily just questions and answers. Um, I was there to answer questions. They'll give me entry points to be able to just jump in a little deeper and ask the question of why. And you know, that's kind of how I build that, um, that play. It's, it's primarily about lowering the waterline first and showing that it's safe. And then once it's safe, I just kind of build my way up through a conversation. And 
being able to relate to a lot of it. Yeah, I've noticed also that you're very comfortable also talking about your own vulnerability, Mm -hmm. which um, is another way of lowering that waterline because you're kind of showing your cards and saying, hey, it's safe to say that you're afraid of something and providing that environment for then them to open up if they want to, right? You can't force them to, but you can open that door and allow them to walk through if if they feel like they want to. Right, right. Um, so yeah, and I, and I learned that stuff the, the hard way and how I learned that was, you know, I just had to get to this stage in my life where I really had to, to figure out what was, you know, preventing me from really wanting to get to the state of, of like being content and, you know, I have a lot of opportunities to be extremely honest when it comes to just like one-on-one conversations, but I've had the privilege of being... I've had the privilege of being in the limelight um, through the National Football League and the UFC and, you know, a couple of uh, other sports like, you know, Major League Baseball and and Tour de France and the cycling world where I'm starting to get a lot more visibility and attention on like this perspective and this philosophy I've been sharing. And I felt like I was holding out quite a bit when they'd ask questions because I I personally myself was just so scared um, of being judged about my own realities right like what makes me so good at what i do for my community i'm not the best in the world by any means but i'm the best for my community and as as a lot of this stuff has been going down it's just helped me realize that if i'm asking these guys to be honest i need to be honest and you know it was it was a stage in my life uh, a few years ago where the love of my life which was my father started to get very ill out of nowhere um, physically, he had a lot of emotional and mental imbalances as I was growing up, but he'd always held it together because of his strength and his size. And slowly as time had gone on, you know, other things happened uh, with his physical health and this deterioration began. And around that time in my life, I started really becoming conscious of something I've neglected and avoided and ran from and hid from for the longest time in my life, which was death. And as I started to see like the biggest part of my heart, which was my father getting closer and closer to that, I really had to figure out how do I organize and structure a relationship with this guarantee, right? And it's coming to the realization that there is only one guarantee in this universe. There's only one reality in this universe is that we're going to die. And then I had to step back and think about what is everything we take to our grave? Like I'm busting my ass to get praised. I'm busting my ass to get an endorsement deal. I'm busting my ass to get a like. I'm busting my ass to make sure I'm, I'm getting like the right interviews and and busting my ass to make sure all these guys achieve things people could see like a world title or a Super Bowl or a World Series or, or, uh, or um, a, a yellow sh- jersey at the, at the tour and just busting my ass for all of these things and, and why? And I came to the r- realization that we're only taking one thing to our grave. Out of everything we get in this universe, we're only taking one thing to our grave. Like, remember, you know, people say, it's my house. This is my car. This is, no, it's not. Like, all that shit stays here. Like, it's not yours. The only thing we take to our grave is a feeling. And I've made my entire life's mission about that feeling. And it's this, 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 this idea of the only thing I want to prepare for is that feeling and is death. Because it's the only guarantee in this world. And I know exactly how I want to feel when I die. And part of that was about 
transparency with myself. And this really, really special dude named Paul Kicks uh, wrote this article um, for ESPN and reached out to me about, hey, man, like there's tons of interviews about you and what you do for people, but there's nothing out about you. Why? And I was like, well, no one's ever asked. He said, no, I've seen some interviews asked, and you're always deflecting to a Jake Shields or to like a Luke Rockhold or to like a Marshawn Lynch or to a, you know, one of your stable mates. Um, and I told him, I said, look, I've never really had comfort um, with being honest with the public. And he said, why? I said, because I feel like I've created something that's really powerful and special. It's the first time in my life I've ever felt valuable. And I don't want anyone else to feel like that off of my work. And then I caught myself as I was ta- telling him this. I said, this isn't my work. This is a culmination of everything in my life, people in my life, things that have happened, people have contributed, coaches, teammates, friends, family, loved ones, etc. People I didn't like, people I got in arguments, like all of them contributed to this perspective and this philosophy that there's an interest for nowadays. And I said that this is a massive test for me. And that's when I agreed to do that article with Paul Kicks. That was where I said, I want to lay it out on the line. And I want to be honest with the world with why I do what I do. And, you know, I was always so embarrassed of so many things and situations I grew up in. You know, like coming to America as a refugee when you're two or three years old, it's very difficult to grow up with any goals and dreams because, you know, we had very, very supportive parents, but we didn't have parents who understood how to organize things for us here because they weren't even on the idea that we're staying here. The whole goal and idea was, hey, the war's going to be over. We're going to go back and live back in that royal life we had, you know. They were too busy working two or three jobs and in and out of hospitals and psych wards and in sale asylums. And we just was just so fucked, right? Um, and and it was very difficult to grow up with, with like, damn, okay, so how do we get this? I had to figure a lot of that shit by myself because my parents were so busy making sure that we had food on the table and, and, and electricity. And with that being said, you know, as a refugee in this country, you grow up with, with food stamps and Section 8 and welfare and thank God for all of that. But back then when I was a kid, man, it was the last thing I wanted anyone to ever know. You know, like you read in that article, like my dad would be at the grocery store and food for less and conquered. And he'd look over at me and go, hey, son, I'm about to pay with that funny money, which meant food stamps. And he goes, just go out to the car just in case your friends from school are here. So it's so much of my youth I was so embarrassed of. And I always... Like, I just never thought there'd be a day in my life where it was actually what it is. That whole entire experience was a strength. And I always looked at it as an excuse that I was going to use if I ever fucked up in life. Right? I'm going to use this hardship and, you know, not having food on the table. I mean, there were times where we were making sandwiches out of tang and Wonder Bread because we had no meat. And I've never, like, turned that into, like, oh, yeah, we poor. Oh, yeah, we we were far from poor. We literally had a billionaire's mindset since we were babies. My parents never let us forget who, who we were and where we came from. But, you know, with all that shit growing up, it was, it was, there was a time, it was just a time. And, and finally my father got, you know, to this point where there was just like, man, he's, he's going to go to heaven. And my dad took his, you know, his last breath. And we had, I had to make some really hard decisions as his oldest son uh, when it came down to quality of life. And I was like, oh, I'm never going to forgive myself for this. I was having a really, really, really hard time towards the end. And finally, when he passed and how he passed, he literally like just 
turned his face towards us, and this is at his own bed in our home, and he had this smirk on his face and took his last breath with a smirk. And remember, or think of this, like my entire life, I'm so in love and so psycho over this guy. You have no idea because he's a very, very easy, quiet, non-confrontational dude. So I've grown up extremely aggressive and 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 his lion because no one could ever fuck with him because he's he's too kind to be you know so i spent my whole life being his like protector and i couldn't protect him from this so i was just losing my mind and when he took his last breath and he smirked my whole life i said if my dad ever dies before me i'll blow my brains out because like, how, how am i gonna live without him like this was my mentality my whole life he left so content with such a beautiful smirk on his face that I literally giggled on his last breath. I grabbed it. So he was in my hands, and he turned his head and dropped towards us. And I looked at my younger brother, Yosef, who's a, who's a cop in the Tenderloin, San Francisco, and he's like, what's up? I was like, I think my dad jumped to heaven. And he's like, no, he's smiling. Look at him. And my mom's like, no. And she puts a mirror in front of his nose and holds it there for like a good 10 seconds, and she looks up. She's like, your dad just went to heaven. And I and imagine like a guy who like I thought I'd lose my mind. We were all smirking because he left so selflessly. You know what else he did? Exactly what I told him. I held his head and I said to him, I said, everybody left the room. And I played this verse in the surah from the Quran that you usually play as the spirit leaves. And I said to him, everybody left us holding his head. And I was like, dad, your whole purpose in this world was this moment. I do believe that at the age of 63, I was 33. My dad left right when I started making a realization of why I do what I do for a living. And all it was was that my entire mission in this universe that anybody I associate with, I want to hold accountable and I want them to hold me accountable to dying content and really defining what contentment means. Um, and that's why, as I alluded to earlier, I just have no interest in empty ass relationships. I have no interest in associating working or coaching with hobbyists. And that's why I refer to everybody as a teammate, not a client. Mm. Because I do what I do selfishly. I love spending time with older folks. One of the reasons is because um, although their strength leaves them, a lot of times their intellectual capacity leaves them, um, all these things, you know, they die certain deaths before we die our physical death. But usually one of the last things that remains before a physical death is the script that's been playing through your whole life. And that's either, you know, I am enough, I'm not enough, I'm grateful, I'm resentful. And you, that's why you see certain older folks that become really fucking resentful. And that... Well, you see their faces after you they see their, pass? Yeah, well, you see you their... the casket and it's like that uh, Clint's jaw look, that, you right. know, mouth open, that squinty eyes. And then you've got gems like my father who smiling. I'm telling you, like when I we had like a portion of the of, of the service was this like, you know, we had the casket open for some of the family that flew in before we took them to the graveyard. And there were, I was watching them from like 200 feet out, like just bawling, holding each other, crying, screaming. And I'm like, and they're all staring at me like, how are you not like, what's wrong with you? Like, you have no emotion. I'm like, well, number one. I'm in shock. I'm heartbroken. You know what I mean? It's like beyond tears. Like the love, like there's a big part of my heart is gone. Two, I'm like, look at his face. And as they would come up, they'd all, rah, rah, rah. And then, uh-huh. Look at him. He's at such peace. Because everybody saw him in a lot of pain the last, you know, month or so before he passed. 
And that's where I'm like, man, like, is it really worth it not living content? If you're going to die content, let's do everything we possibly can to live content. And what does it take to live content? The funny thing is, it's just simple as just making a decision on how. We make decisions all day long, right? Who dressed you today? I dressed myself. Cool. So you have the ability of making a decision. My girlfriend dressed me. <laughs> <laughs> right? We have the, 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 we have the ability of making a decision. Well, why do we stop that when it comes to our emotions? Why do we stop that when it comes to our head? Right? We have to have other people validate decisions we make. What's well, like you have an ability to make it, right? You know what you want to eat. You eat it. It tastes so good. You have an ability of who you want to associate with you doing. You're so happy. Why do you stop when it comes to you? Hmm. Right? Because every time you ask, like, why don't we just make the fucking decision that it's time to just change the game? Oh, no, it's this process. I'm like working through it. And it's like, well, you know what the fuck you want. You know exactly what you want. And all it takes is you making a commitment to that. What's this process of working towards it? Like, oh, you know, I've got, I've got all this shit on my heart. Like, okay, like what? Well, I'm just so angry at my, my mom. For what? For X, Y, and Z. Okay, so you're going to let that take all this real estate of your heart for something you couldn't control. You're going to let it control you. And you're going to utilize that as a reason to why you're not going to maximize on your life and pursue this dream or, 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 or propose to this woman. or You know, all these really cool things that we prevent ourselves from, but using the excuse of other people and why we don't do it, when it's kind of like, grow some nuts, man. Like, Yeah, arrive immediately. Come on. I, I like what you're talking about there. I, I did a, uh, a week-long silent meditation retreat this year. It was the first time I'd ever done it. I snapped my arm kite surfing. It was a pretty sketchy near-death experience and was... Uh, fairly freaked out after the whole incident. Um, yeah, thank God you're good. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm better now. Um, and shout out to Kaj for letting me work out at his gym. He's been good physical therapy, CrossFit Santa Monica. See, well, Kaj is also one of those guys, man. Right. Like outside of the physical side, right. just talking to that guy, you want to run through walls. Yeah. You know? Yes, yes. He was podcast number one. There we go. Episode number one on my podcast. Um, but the reason I, I bring that up is that there's a... a a meditation technique that um, I use, it's just with an app that I use, um, the Waking Up app with Sam Harris. And the thing that he says a lot is arrive immediately. Because a lot of times meditation feels like this very gradual thing where you're fighting against all these thoughts and distractions. Then maybe, you know, 20 minutes in, you get somewhere. But it is possible to make a decision to simply decide to arrive immediately somewhere. And I'm just reflecting on the point that you made because um, I think that that's a really powerful mindset to adopt. Like, what if I arrived immediately in the place that I want to be? And of course, you're not going to be there forever, right? You're going to then get back and get distracted again and you know, you're going to have to arrive again. But the human mind is so powerful, man. I'm looking at the book behind you, How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. Are you reading that book right now? Uh, Lucas. Lucas, yeah. Yeah. It's great, man. I mean, it's. I, I think that um, psychedelics can be very important for people because, um, in a way, they are a controlled death experience, and it f- goes back to a lot of what you're talking about, man. It, it it really removes a lot of the complexity and can take people way down into that grounding feeling of who am I? Who do I want to be? How do I want to feel as I'm here on this well, you know earth what, for you, a very short time? Well, you know what other practice does that? Pooping. 
Faith. <laughs> right. Tell me. Faith. Think about the intention of faith, right? It's funny, like, so much of media and these mainstream folks demonize faith because these extremists that, that utilize any form of faith as a reason on why they're such assholes, right? And they try to take something so historic that's been practiced for so long and has created so much of the universe as this, you know, this thing now that associates with like all the discrimination and the racists and the terrorists and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, well, no, it's far, it's completely opposite and contradictory of any sort of faith. The intention of all faith is about the purification of the heart, right? The purification of the heart is what allows us as human beings to be able to do what we need to do to let our heart breathe and, 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 and let our heart be active, right? Like the practices of gratitude and the practices of, of forgiveness, and trust and love and 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 hope, right? And this is where you know I I like you know my play. Like I haven't really toyed around with any psychedelics or anything along those lines um, yet. Um, but the same kick I, I, a lot of my friends have gotten from that experience has, has been faith. And why I'm so big on faith is that look, we're preparing for a marathon. What would you do every day? Train. Right, but what's the training? Running. Running. Right. We're preparing for a big title fight. What do you do every day? Fight. Fight. Good. We want to believe in things. Right? We have all this hope and like all these desires, like all these things that we want. Right? How do we believe in things if we don't practice believing in things every day? Right? And I think that's like something that's completely neglected from faith. It's just a place to be able to practice believing something that you can't see, that you can't touch. You could only feel, right? Faith has always been about the correlation of feeling. Um, and that's my drug, right? It's just about my relationship with my creator. Um, and the practices of faith have just been about just strengthening my hope in things, right? This is why I take on the types of folks I take on in my space where everybody always hates on me. Like a lot of like, why are you wait? Why are you doing this again, man? Like it's just gonna, he's just gonna stress you out. He's gonna fall off the wagon, or you know, she's gonna fuck up, and like da da. Like why? Like look at her track record. It's, it's like you have something. I mean, I have something you don't have. You go, what is this? It's hope. It's belief. I practice it every day, right? And who else can you learn from if you're not learning from people that have hiccups? How do you practice faith throughout your day? Do you actually punctuate moments in your day, like? getting out of a car, walking into an interview or like, how do you maintain that mindset day after day? Well, and, and what does that well, look I pray, like? Right. So it's, right. Uh, I, I, I've been raised and practice Islam, uh, as a Muslim and I have my, my five prayers a day. Right. Um, it's difficult for me to get to all five of them cause I choose to make it a little bit difficult given like my lifestyle. Cause there's a process to, to praying. Right. There's about the udu, which is like washing your entire body and being in the, in, the, in, the, in the space and having your prayer rug and being in the direction of faith. But sometimes I'm in an airplane. Sometimes I'm in the middle of training. Sometimes I'm, you know, uh, and I can't be there, but the, I'm conscious about it. And what happens when you pray is you need to be in your cleanest state emotionally and physically and, 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 and mentally. And I try to keep that mentality intact when I'm going through my daily practice of just journey with folks, right? I have a perfect opportunity to be able to talk shit about something or make fun of someone that I know would fuck them up, even though my intentions aren't to make, you know, make them feel. But because I'm like, oh, wow, it's like close to, my, my mind automatically shifts. Like, don't do that. 
like hold your tongue, be thoughtful, be measured. And go back to one of the coolest principles that my dad always pushed on me since I was a little kid, which was one of, you know, peace be upon and Prophet Muhammad's uh, most beautiful sayings was, um, don't speak unless it's more beautiful than silence. That's fucking great. It's one of my favorite things. And, and uh, I try to be as conscious as I can about that. And it's funny when I'm not, I always say or do something stupid. And why I call it stupid because it, it hurts people, right? Like it either frustrates my wife, um, it makes a friend or a sibling uncomfortable because I touch a sensitive topic and I, I just didn't have to, you know? But that's where faith and like these practices and these words help me quite a bit. And it's so funny to me to like see some of these new methods of like best health practices for your emotions in your head, like a lot of it's nutrition, right? Like this whole like intermittent fasting thing. Oh, you mean something that's written in the holy book 1400 years ago, right? Oh no, like the state of ketosis and we've got this new product. They put you in a state of ketosis and it's like, oh, it's interesting how science is catching up with history. Yeah. And all of these are written in the holy book. All of these practices from every component and everything you could think of are written from 14, 15, 2000 years ago. You know, that's an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of where my head is when it comes to faith. It's not necessarily about the rules of going to hell or going to heaven but it's more along the lines of what can you do to purify hmm. and and those are my t- and then and the purification part of the purification process is obviously the practice of believing right believing in something greater than man you have to like how could you let man hold their finger on the trigger of your faith and destiny like what can someone do to me better than i can i liked what you said uh also about um not speaking uh, you are comfortable in silence, which is, um, I, I would say that silence is a big differentiator between intelligence and wisdom. Mm. Like intelligence, you think of someone who can talk really well and they can say very, speak in a loquacious way and they make really good points. But wisdom, uh, I think, comes into play when you know when not to say something mm. you know when you have that that narrative and you're like oh i'm gonna say that and you're like nope i'm just gonna catch it right before mm. and then celebrating those moments mm. when you don't do it and strengthening that muscle right it's yeah, it, yeah. no it, i agree i think it's i guess uh, subconsciously it's just that that word resonates with me big time it's always been a word i've been a fan of what uh, wisdom wisdom yeah um and i'd love to be one uh, who has some of that one day um but I mean, outside of talking about this, these specific things that I do, I, I don't talk much. I don't know anything else, you know. Um, and this is why I like surrounding myself with people like you and Kaj and Brian and Jake and Luke and my community because it's everybody I have to look up to in order to be around. Right? I can't be around a community that I'm spitting content and and that's it. Like, I like being the dumbest one in the room. And it used to bother me for the longest time. Like one of my best friends, his name is Chris James in San Francisco. And him and I were talking and he's one of the very few people to ever ask me, um, what do you think you're like super, like, like where do you feel like your biggest deficiency is? I said intelligence. I think I own emotional intelligence within my community. But when it comes to other things, like I have a big issue, like I can't focus, right? Like I'm for sure ADHD. And I, I just can't, like, I'm sitting here, I'll look at people for hours and they'll talk for an hour. And then at the end of the hour, they ask the question. And I go, I have no idea what you just said. I, <laughs> I was literally trying to figure out how to paddle out when I go to Ocean Beach next time. 
And and those are the types of things I struggle with big time, right? Just being about focus and then finding interesting things that help me focus. Mm. And that's where I've been super, super stoked about the community that I'm associated with because every time I'm around these folks, I'm just a student mm. and I'm learning. What are you learning most about surfing right now? What's that uh, experience giving you right now? Um, humility. You know, more than anything, it's humility. Like, uh, you know, I, I do and I am around something I'm very, very good at. Um, I'm around folks where I'm better than when it comes to combat or when it comes to performance training, right? And it's a comfortable space. And why I love the outdoors, again, my buddy Chris, who <laughs> brought this up recently, I got caught in this thing called a river in Ocean Beach, which I'm sure you're aware of. It's like a pretty nasty riptide and for me it's difficult right i'm not no you or know any of these guys who could swim and, and and do that whole thing it's a whole different craft you know i'm like entry level white belt um and i got caught up in this thing and this isn't long ago because i got so geeked up right i had the privilege of going to kelly's wave pool i went to nasara i'm like yeah i could drop i can do this i can paddle and first of all paddling out to ocean beach as you know alone it's is enough to break the spirit correct and you get out and you're like, <laughs> it's enough oh my to lose God. your faith <laughs> yeah and i'm so tired that i want to get back now so i just try to catch everything that you can't catch to just get washed up and get caught up in this this riptide but the weird thing was is like everything that happened right it, it took me away and and i look left and i look right my friends are gone like i can't see them from like i'm like where they go so you know the waves are obviously picking up and then I see all these people walking along the beach, but they're far because I'm like just getting pulled out. And I'm, I'm to a point to where my whole body goes into this, 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 this like spasm of anxiety to where I feel like a stiff rock. Like my arms aren't paddling. I can't breathe. My chest is expanding. I'm like freaking out. Like there's no tomorrow. I even screamed for help like three or four times. I was on the board and I jumped off the board and I'm like, I'm going to take my leash off and just go underwater and see if this works. Jumped on the water, popped back up and I just kept getting pulled back. And it sent like it was hours, right? It was probably like four minutes. But it fucked me up so bad because I felt so defeated. And there hasn't been much of that happening to me physically in, in, in a while. And I was really bummed out because right after that, my buddy Chris shows up. You know, he's paddling in. He's like, oh, did you see what I just caught? I was like, did you see I almost fucking died? <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? Wait, and my other buddy who pushed me out, pulled me out with Swifty, he felt horrible that he left me, right? Because he was like supposed to be with me. And I get out and I'm super bummed. And 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 Chris is like, "Come on, let's go. We're, we're going to go over to uh, this bar down the street that Matt Lopez yeah. owns." Oh yeah, I know Matt. Yeah, and we go to Matt, Matt's bar and, and we're sitting there, and, and I'm just like bummed. And I'm not a bummed guy, right? I'm always just joking around, just being funny. And Chris keeps looking at me. He's like, "What's wrong?" I was like, "Just keep shaking my hand." Like, and I was because I was so scared, you know. And he goes, "Hey." why don't you start taking in what you coach? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, how many things in this world scare you? I said, not many. He said, did that? I said, yeah. He said, well, value it. Cause what did it just give you? And I was like, humility. And we cheers. And I was like, wow, what a cool lesson. So that's, what's been really neat about it more than anything. It's, it's when it goes down to, you know, like just even in our faith, like even in my in Islam, it says that life's principles live in nature, and it's very, very important for practicing Muslims to be out in the wilderness and out uh, uh, in the ocean, because you get so much of life principles 
that surface itself uh, through nature. Yeah, nature is the most. So honest. I love surfing is that it. I'm scared of it. I'm yeah. just terrified of it. You know, um, why I'm so crazy and become such a big student of, of hunting in the last ten years is it terrifies me. Right, that I'm I'm putting myself in a position to 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 be prey. Right, given where we go and and, and how we hunt and. Um, and just learning about all that stuff, man. So it's the two things that I'm very, very uncomfortable doing uh, or why I'm so passionate about both of them because like the two things that make me really uncomfortable. Yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation. I want to be respectful of your time um, and would love to do it again sometime. But uh, I appreciate the clarity with which you move through the world. You're the best. Uh, yeah. I'm stoked and I'm excited for everything you've got going on. And uh, I hope we get a lot more people in the space like yourself. Yeah, let's go surfing sometime. I'm what to right there, man. <laughs> it sounds good. <laughs> All right, bud. That's our show. I'm going to play out this song by Mount St. Elise called This Was Supposed to Be Easier, and I will link to their band page in the show notes along with the Amazon Watch link as well as the Patagonia Action Works link as well as the Santa Cruz Medicinals CBD link. So once again, if you want to get 10% off any CBD products, you can go to their website, type in the code name KYLE10, all caps, get 10% off any order. Uh, Thank you to everyone who donates to this podcast on Patreon. I rely on people like you to keep it going. So thank you, thank you, thank you. You can head over to my website, kyle.surf, or click the link below this podcast to donate even just a couple bucks a month. The equivalent of a cup of coffee really does help. It all adds up. Uh, Thank you so much. Get out in the water and have a beautiful day. to my eye and a day gone by was living out its life inside if a day ever was up there it still is yes it's less than logical what was plus what if a day never died it just changed to three
I know where I can go to bring to light the ships I passed at night. Now I know where I can go to bring to light the ships I.